0: You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. In this episode, I chat with Holly Moses and Holly Yates who both practice acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT for short. We dive into the serenity prayer, solidifying and following your values, the function of negative emotions in our lives, mindfulness, and the difference between therapy and coaching. We also taught about managing imposter syndrome, the value of saying your brain story out loud, and the Japanese art of fixing cracked bowls. Here are some teaser quotes from the episode. In your pain, you find your values, and in your values, you find your pain. Context is everything. There's no emotion that I'm unwilling to experience. And lastly, is this what I want my life to be? Thank you so much for tuning in and happy listening. A quick note that although this episode is recorded with two therapists, it is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical or psychological diagnoses, advice, or treatment. All content is provided for informational and educational purposes only. For a full disclaimer, please see peakcoaching.co 13. Holly and Holly, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you both here today. Thank you for having us. Yes,
1: we're excited to be here.
0: So we've made it super confusing by having two North Carolina-based therapists named Holly on the podcast. <laughs> so we have Holly Moses. Can you give us a little voice take here?
2: This is Holly Moses.
0: Thank you. And Holly Yates as well joining us.
1: Yes, this is Holly Yates. And you can just refer to us as the Hollies. I think that's Exactly. That that- that yeah. works out really well, too.
0: Perfect. I'm just going to say the Hollies <laughs> and whichever Holly feels inclined to talk can just jump right in. <laughs> so how did you two meet?
2: This is such a good story. I moved to North Carolina. I guess it's been almost like nine years ago, maybe. I think it's been about nine years. Uh-huh. And not long after I moved here, um, the ACT conference was in D.C.
1: In 2012.
2: Was it 2012? Mm-hmm. And um I had just moved to a new state. I didn't really have any friends here. It was a big deal to move. And so I thought, okay, at this conference, I don't know anyone. I am, despite my fear, I am going to go up to someone and talk to them. (laughs) And so I... I I walked out because a a value for me is friendship. And I had moved to another state where I knew no one. So that was pretty painful. And so I noticed this lovely woman sitting outside by herself at a table. And I thought, that's her. I am going to go up to that woman. And if she says, I don't want to talk to you, that's okay. But if she does want to talk to me, fabulous. I am going to face my fear with this. And so I walked up to her and I said, hi, my name's Holly from Raleigh. It's nice to meet you. Can I take a seat? And she said, yes, please do. I'm also Holly from Raleigh.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: So for me, I was equally as vulnerable. In 2012, my business was changing completely. I was going from three partners down to really just myself, um, trying to figure all of this out, kind of new to act, not, not really new, but, but not as, you know, I'd only been doing it for a couple of years. This was my first con Mm -hmm. uh, conference that I was doing by myself and my oldest son was graduating from high school. So I was already a ball of emotion and I was feeling really lonely and isolated. And I also said, I am going to meet somebody I'm going to this thing by myself. I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone in this conference. I don't know anyone in this community and I am going to meet someone. And that's how we met.
0: I love that so much. That's amazing. Good on you. I think, uh, Holly Yates, you got the good end of the stick because you just had to sit there and be greeted. <laughs>
2: <I> <laughs> um, <know>. No, that's <laughs> that true, It is
0: no. true. <laughs> this is why you should always go talk to strangers (laughs) follow your values make friends and talk to strangers those are your words of wisdom for the day (laughs) i love it i love it um so i invited you guys on the podcast because i am really interested in the type of therapy that you both do which is act so acceptance and commitment therapy can one Mm -hmm. of you just kick us off and tell us exactly what act is
1: so ACT is, um, is acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm-hmm. And what we really want to do, it's kind of, you know, that great serenity prayer, like learning to accept the things that you can't and change the things that you can. What we really want to do is learn how to accept what we cannot change in our life, right? And identify the values and what we want our life to be about, and then learn how to flexibly move toward those values,
0: I love that. And I absolutely love the serenity prayer. So I like that you already brought that in. And so I do want to dig way further into what ACT looks like in everyday life. But I'm curious how you both ended up as ACT therapists.
2: Yes. This is a really cool question because I am a psychologist and a behavior analyst. And so I always struggled a little bit about the difference in cognitive behavior therapy and behavior analysis and uh, the type of therapy that I was interested in. And there, there seemed to be a little bit of a disconnect that always bothered me. I thought, gosh, this has, got to, this has got to come together better in another way. And then I was really excited to learn about ACT a long time. It was probably 15 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is it. I am in love With this model because it makes incredible sense. It's so powerful. And to me, in my training, bringing it all together really to provide the best for my patients.
0: Beautiful. I love that. And how about you, Holly Yates? How did you choose ACT or how did ACT choose you? I think
1: it's a little bit of both. So (laughs) when I got out of graduate school, I was a dialectical behavior therapist, which is a kind of, which in, in, the um, clinic where I was working was a very specific kind of therapy where we needed peer supervision and I was kind of going on my own. So I didn't have that peer group and it was also a different population that I was working with. But what it did have, which I thought was so beautiful, was this mindfulness component, Mm -hmm. this um, present moment awareness, and this learning how to accept things that we cannot change, right? That I said before. While knowing that life is kind of hard, right? Life isn't this groovy, think positive, Facebook fortune cookie post, right, that (laughs) people like to tell us it is, right? It's hard. And it's also wonderful. And we have to, you know, really learn how to embrace the hard and kind of make room for it Mm -hmm. while moving in a value direction, and I was looking and looking and looking just like Holly and saying, all right, I'm not going to do DBT really anymore. What can I do? And I came across Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and I also was in love and said, this is it. This is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what matters to us, what we want our life to be about, the direction in which we want to move, and how do we do that with everything that life gives us.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I love the idea of values and their big, big part in acceptance and commitment therapy. So I, like a good podcast host, I did lots of research and values was one of the things that came up over and over again. So when you guys talk about values, how do you define them and why are they so important with an act?
1: So for me, um, values is about what gives your life purpose and meaning, what Mm -hmm. matters to you, what you want your life to be about what you want to move toward, right? So for me, I'm a parent, I'm a wife, I'm a therapist, um, I'm a friend. You know, all those things are really important to me and I value them. Someone may not be a parent. Someone may not be a wife. So that's not necessarily a value for them. So we get to identify the meaning for ourselves, like what matters to me? What do I want my life to be about? And then how do I move in that direction? And, you know, it's kind of like the broken record that says it over and over and over again. But I think that that's a really important piece to drive home. And it's not just how do I move in that direction, but how do I move in that direction with flexibility Mm. to be open to whatever comes up in that moment, to Mm -hmm. not struggle against it so much. You know, what we want to do is act as kind of alleviate suffering Pain is going to be part of the package. That's what we get when we come on this planet. Part of it is pain. But we don't have to suffer the way we do. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think all of the the work that I do with life coaching, but all of the the books I read and a lot of the studying is also about how we can end suffering. And I think it's about – and I think you guys would echo this, but I'd be curious your perspective – not eliminating negative emotion. Like you said, it's not about positive thinking or positivity right. all the time. It's about really embracing the negative emotions and the hard times. And by embracing them, you're actually lessening them. Does that resonate with your teachings and with your work?
1: Absolutely. Like the negative stuff, and I know I'm being a little uh, mic hog here, Holly. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I but, love
2: that you're mic
0: um, <laughs>
1: um, But you know, the negative stuff is important for us to know. It's data. Negative emotions can let me know that I'm in a relationship that's not healthy for me. Mm -hmm. Negative emotions can let me know that I'm engaging in behaviors that can be harmful. Negative emotions can let me know that I may be entering a situation that's not safe, right? Negative negative emotions, all emotions are data. They're important. They give us information. It's when we identify them as something that we cannot have, that's when we get into a lot of trouble and that the Mm -hmm. positive emotions are the only thing that we can have. Mm -hmm. And
2: I, I think that's really true. And when we go back and talk about these emotions and thoughts, I think it's important we figure out why they feel so big and how our brain is even coming up with some of these things. So, when we think about the way that animals are, you know, fight, flight, and freeze, and they are engaging in kind of avoidance behaviors and those types of things when the feared object is present. Right. They're they're programmed to do that to keep themselves safe. Mm -hmm. But the difference with humans is we have the same thing, but we also have the psychological distress that comes on when the feared event isn't even occurring in that moment. We have this ability to bring the past to the future. Mm -hmm. We have this ability to think, oh my goodness, you know, this might happen. And what if she thinks this about me? And what if, um, I replay this conversation. And what if I revise the replayed conversation? And what if I think about a conversation that may or may not take place in the future? I mean, our brains can tell us infinite stories. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing all the shoulds and I could have and the brain stories about I'm 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 bad. I'm not good enough. I'm never gonna make enough money. I'm not lovable. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things that may really be. Kind of coming from our past in some ways, mm-hmm. continue to tell us as if they're happening right in that moment.
1: yeah, i I think, you know m- myself when when I first started working um, as an act therapist and getting supervision and also being a a client, you know, being letting somebody know that their negative feelings are perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. People have negative thoughts all the time. We don't have to work so hard to change them. What we do need to work on is w- how they're functioning. That's sort of the thing we discriminate. But we have negative thoughts all the time. You know, I was um, missed the turn today, and I was like, "Oh my god, you so, can't believe it! You've been here a million times. You missed the turn. What the heck is wrong with you?" Okay, mm-hmm. well, that thought came, and that came, and that went. Right. So it was a thought that really no harm, no foul. If it's, I kept, if I kept ruminating on that thought and that starts becoming the me, that's when, Mm -hmm. you know, we get into some trouble. But I know how freeing it's been for some of my clients when, you know, I've said to them, it makes perfect sense that you would have this negative thought. Like, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. This has happened before. Why wouldn't you have that negative thought? Now, how is it functioning and what do we want
2: to do about that? Maybe it's giving you some really good information. I think that's really important too because, you know, when you're fused is when you are believing that brain story and you're taking action because of it. Mm -hmm. When it's not real because you can't run from your stories, your brain is in your head. (laughs) Right? Like we try to. We try to avoid them. We try to be busy. Right? There's so many different ways we can do it. We can drink too much. We can Mm -hmm. work too much. We can say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? When someone asks. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many different ways we can avoid places that we're scared of or we're afraid we're going to have a panic attack. We can avoid people. I mean, our lives can be quite small if we try to avoid these negative thoughts and feelings because really they're coming with us. Always. Always. And, and our stories
1: matter. I know it's kind of popular to say, you know, you're not your story and, you know, rewrite your story and let's not focus on your story. But our stories matter. Our stories are our histories, right? Our stories mm-hmm. give meaning to some of the suffering that we've been through. So it's important to sort of honor that and then see what we can do to write a new story now. What do I want my life to do now?
0: Hmm. I love that idea. You guys have. I'm taking copious amounts of notes right now. You guys have touched on so many things that I think about on a very regular basis. So I actually have a copy of The Power of Now open on my bedside table. Mm-hmm. But it's that idea that we spend so much of our time looking at the past and looking at the future. Holly Moses, you just talked about that one. Um, but I do want to talk about this idea of the negative emotions and the negative stories. And um, Holly Yates, you said, how is it functioning? And so I do want to dig into that. So you mentioned the example of negative emotions in a relationship and you Mm -hmm. could take that and you could say this relationship is not serving me it is not connected to what I would call my intuition maybe my inner wisdom knows that I should not be in this relationship but you could also be in that situation and you could have it be that this person is actually really healthy for you your old stories are just coming out and you're Mm self-sabotaging so how do you guys start to to tease that apart and how do you start to get to the quote-unquote truth of that circumstance? So
1: um, context is everything, Mm -hmm. right? Context is everything that influences um, behavior. Context is what's happening in this moment, right? If you look at what negative emotions are coming up, right, and you mentioned the power of now, Mm -hmm. if this is happening now, if something is happening now that, let's say, is abusive or demeaning or – Painful, or not just painful, but something that really is ineffective and unworkable. If that's happening now, that's giving you information. If you're reacting to something that happened then because you're afraid it's going to happen now, that's what we have to learn to discriminate. Like what's happening right now in this moment? So I'm sitting next to my lovely friend, Holly, who has always been such a kind, open, safe person for me to be with, right? That's happening now. If I walked in the door and I had had a fight with my sister or my mother or my friend or something, and that's the story that I'm bringing in with me and I'm saying, okay, I can't trust Holly anymore. Mm. Everybody turns against me eventually. I can't trust Holly anymore. That might be something that is interfering with the workability of our relationship. So I have to look at what's happening right here in this relationship right now. Does that make sense?
0: That makes perfect sense. And so I want to talk about the mechanisms for how you actually do that, how you actually stay present to your emotions. I know that ACT has a lot to do with mindfulness. So can you just talk about how the average person might start working with mindfulness in their life either with a therapist or even if they're not ready to see a therapist yet.
1: So mindfulness for the purposes of, of the work that I'm doing with my clients, right, in acceptance and commitment therapy is about being here right now in this present moment. It's not about an altered sense of consciousness. It's not about meditation necessarily. It's not about stress relief. It's about really identifying what's happening here and now. And we can do that quite simply and not easily. So I want to get those two things really separate, right? Simple and easy are not the same thing. But by taking a breath, really following your breath in and then following your breath out. I just did it. And what happens when you do that?
0: I already feel calmer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm here. I've always got sirens going in the background here. So I, I always have to stop and remind myself to take a deep breath. So thank you for that reminder. And I hope everyone listening stops and takes a deep breath as well. Holly Moses, what do you have to add into uh, the mindfulness piece? I know it's a really big piece of act, and I don't mean to make you summarize it into just a few sentences, but what are your thoughts?
2: Sure. Um, And I'm a little different. Um, I work with children almost exclusively. Mm -hmm. So a little bit interesting and just somewhat different approach to this same model. And how are you describing what seems so um, unexplainable, right? I mean, it's, oh, take a deep breath. And how many times have teachers and parents have already told them to do that and they feel like it doesn't work? Mm Mm-hmm right? Um, And then they end up breathing really quickly and they're done. You know, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. So what I do is really being mindful and curious, like a curious scientist is what is happening in this brain that I'm carrying around with me. You know, most of the time, or some of the time, depending on what the context is, is it can be incredibly helpful. It can help me figure out how to put my shoes on. It can help me figure out how to chew my food. It can help me figure out all kinds of really neat things. But it also is busy telling me a bunch of stories that aren't so helpful. So I'll go ahead and break that down in whatever way serves that particular child and figuring out what are those stories and how do we really change our relationship with them? Because they're coming, we can choose to Make some space, not, not avoid them, but recognize them so they're not all up in our face to where we can't enjoy any other parts of our lives. Also, what you do enjoy and enjoying that more fully and being more present. So really, mindfulness to me, is, it's such a big topic, but definitely one of those things is paying attention because the brain stories that are unhelpful, we're so used to hearing them. We're so used to speaking to ourselves in ways that we would never speak to someone else. Um, But the story is so common and we hear it so often, we take it as fact. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to need to argue with it. We can hold it gently. We can let it go. We can invite it on the bus with us wherever we're going because it's coming anyway. There's so many different things that we can do to increase mindfulness In ways again, where there might be a strict restricted interest. For instance, Minecraft is a big one that I use to explain mindfulness for kids and identifying those unhelpful brain stories. So there's all kinds of really interesting and creative ways I think to approach mindfulness.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about Minecraft? Even though we're adults,
2: (laughs) (laughs) well, um, I do specialize with children with autism, ADHD, and anxiety. So. Again, Pokemon, Minecraft, you name it. Mm -hmm. But for instance, um, if you're familiar with it at all, there is day and night in Minecraft. Uh You know that night in survival mode, you know night is coming, right? It's coming no matter what. So you can either accept that night is coming and keep going or you try to avoid it and quit. So using things like the tools that you need to gather during the day, and those might be breathing exercises, and they might be things that you'll tell yourself that bring you confidence. They may be all kinds of things that you do to get ready for night. And kids know what that means. You know, you have to get your tools and you have to get ready for the night of coming. You have to build your shelter. And we can really compare those things to get ready for your brain stories, not to fight them, but to accept them. And keep going, and not let them rob your joy. Because at night, those brain stories that are not so helpful are definitely coming in the form of maybe a you know spider jockey or whatever <laughs> you know the different things that come out at night. They're mm-hmm. coming. The creeper is coming. Mm-hmm. Right. We just have to be ready for it. And again, we accept it, and we keep playing. And we don't let it steal our joy. We don't let it take away from being active in our own lives.
0: I think you need a, a Game of Thrones analogy for the adults. You have to come up I with one of those somehow. <laughs> People would love that. I don't. I've never seen Game of Thrones, but apparently, I'm one of the only ones. <laughs> no, no, me too. I haven't okay. seen one. Before. Yeah, we'll form
2: a team. Um,
1: I think what's so really elegant about this and lovely about this is that Holly and I work with such different populations. I work exclusively with adults. I work with anxiety and uh, life transitions and depression and some bipolar disorder and really just kind of things that show up that really sort of destabilize us and dysregulate us. And it's the same model, just used in different ways, right? So... Somebody's having a hard time getting present with just a breath, right? What can you touch, right? What can you feel? What can you smell? What can you do that brings you right here, right now, in this moment without judgment?
0: I love that idea. Something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is are, are the five senses. And so the idea of really being present. So I, I went to a big dinner and we had a topic and the big topic was the five senses. And what I realized from hearing everyone talk about it, so everyone talks about the same topic. But one realization I had was that people process information through the five senses at all times, but people aren't really aware of what they're processing. And so I think. Mm-hmm. Those grounding mechanisms or those mindfulness techniques that actually make you aware of what you're processing on a constant basis can be really powerful to really center you in the now. Um, is that in line with what you guys do in terms of act?
2: So um, well, I was just thinking of something personally yeah, that please. I actually do. Oh, great. And sometimes I will set um, the timer on my phone. And it will remind me to breathe because I realize I'm I'm actually sort of come, come by it um, legitimately. Like I'm a pretty anxious person mm-hmm. in general. And so I have to work a little bit harder than maybe someone else about being mindful and being present because my brain stories are amazing. I mean, they come. <laughs> they just keep on coming sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be really mindful about those stories coming in. And not to let them take me away, and take away my experience of being present. And I don't want to miss any opportunities to be present in my life with my children, with my patients, with my dear friends like Holly. Um, I don't. I don't want to be robbed of this life. And what I'll do sometimes is really keep a smooth shell, is what I'm trying to say, or mm-hmm. some sort of soft fidget in my um, in my pocket. And if I don't have a pocket, I'll just use my necklace as a way to ground me something that I can literally take a hold of. Mm-hmm. And it will ground me in that moment. And then I can bring myself back out of those stories and that they don't have to be consuming. They can just be stories. Thoughts and feelings can just be thoughts and feelings.
0: So when you touch that necklace or you touch the shell in your pocket, is there something that you say to yourself in that moment or is it just now you've triggered it so much that you know that you associate it with grounding yourself in the present moment?
2: You know, I I used to, when I first started, yes, I would have to say that, that there is, there's no emotion that I'm unwilling to experience. I love that. And that's, it's so important because it's so easy to avoid these stories that we tell ourselves. And again, it could be anything. It could be that, you know, again, I'm, I'm bad at this or no one's ever going to love me or You know, we'll never get out of debt. All those things that, you know, play on and on. You really can have it play on and on in the background. And again, you don't have to fight it. You don't have to avoid it. You don't have to run from it. You can just let it play and not rob you of your joy and your experience of being present. I love
0: that you brought up the personal side and experiencing anxiety yourself. Would you say it's anxiety or just that you're an anxious person or is that the same to you? Ah, uh, that's
1: a nice that's a nice question, I think, because part of what um, we want to look at is that I don't want to identify myself as an anxious person. Mm. I want to know that anxiety is part of my experience.
0: Mm, okay?
1: Because I'm much more than an anxious person. I too, um, I think that's why Holly and and Holly are such good friends. I think the anxiety train can really take me away as well. So I know what that feels like, that anxiety that sort of stops you from stepping into your life. Um, but I don't want to, ang- I don't want to um, describe myself as the the anxious Holly, you know, I'm, I'm Holly who struggles with anxiety sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's really hard. Um, and I'm so much more than that too, you know, so that gives you, you know, even in saying that, it can give me a different way of looking at my life. Yeah. Like this is part of what my life is about, right? This is part of what I have. This is part of what my life experience is. And I'm going to let it, like Holly said, be in the back of the bus. It's not going to drive the bus. It doesn't even have to sit next to me. It can mm-hmm. go in the back, or sometimes even in the trunk, uh-huh. you know?
0: So first of all, I just I love when people in general, but also when mental health professionals are very transparent about the things that they struggle with or the things that they experience themselves. And so I just wanted to commend you both for being willing to talk about that. Uh, But as people who sometimes have feelings of anxiety, do you ever struggle with that as a mental health professional? Do you ever feel that? Obviously, this is not true. But do you ever feel like you're frauds or imposter syndrome? Because I know I deal with that, too. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of listeners deal with that never. in their professions. Never, right? Never do. <laughs> Just never. Be, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> We're all <laughs> We're picture perfect. perfect. Oh, my
2: goodness. <laughs> Life is as good as it is on oh Facebook and Instagram. And that's that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Christine, I'm so it's glad that you brought that up because I, I well I, I think from our response, you know that we absolutely <laughs> deal with imposter syndrome yes and you know, I want to say that you know, both Holly and I are also speakers and even being in front of a big audience there to see us, it's like, oh, you know do I really know what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. you know, why are these people here? You know, all those types of things, but I and I think that, Almost every single professional feels that way at some point that I've spoken to. And you know what's really interesting is that you would assume that therapists have it all together, right? Of course we do. No. <laughs> but I, you know, I think that we can be having our own experiences and it almost helps us. Our our stories help us even be better at our at our work. And what's really interesting in years and years ago, where um, the ACT conference was in Reno. And Stephen Hayes, of course, he's amazing, the founder of ACT, um, but really looking at behavior analysis in a different way as far as language and really looking at uh, relational frame theory and breaking all that down. But he is the founder of ACT, it's an amazing model. And what I found, you know, again, all those years ago, going to the one, the conference that was in Reno, is he had us do a really powerful, powerful um, exercise, and they were all therapists. We were, I mean, a whole room at least of 100 therapists. Mm -hmm. And he asked us to be open and willing to share the biggest unhelpful story that we were currently working on. I love that. And when you think about wanting to hold it together and really, you don't want to be vulnerable It's uncomfortable. And he's asking us, be vulnerable in front of all of these other strangers. Instead of you have to have it together, you have to be the best therapist. No, you're human and you still have these experiences. So let's just be open about it. He had us write on a name tag the story that we were struggling with and we had to wear it all day. No
0: way. Oh my gosh. That is, that's amazing. I
2: was horrified. But we did it. We all did it. And as uncomfortable as it was, all of us did it. And he had us form a circle and we had to read every single one. Wow. Of the brain stories. Um, We also, again, had to wear it. So not only did everyone about the hundred therapists that were in that room. We also had to wear it all day. So we were going out and have to have lunch and meet all these other people and go to all these other talks and still wear it.
1: And you know what the beauty of that is? Because I've been to plenty of, of these, um, led some of them been, been a, a participant is that those labels then become very unimportant. Nobody ever looks at them anymore, right? The Mm -hmm. whole shock and the whole thing that we tell ourselves is, oh my God, this person's going to know this about me. And then after we're willing to learn that the very thing that I'm struggling with is probably very similar to what you're struggling with, that becomes something that is on our, you know, our shirts. And at the end of the day, we're like, oh my God, I didn't realize that that was still there. And that's really what we want to do with our clients, right? Is that you can tell me this story that you have. You can tell me this thing, this worst possible thing about yourself and how can we hold that lightly and just let that be a thing and nothing more. And it's
0: hard. Yeah. Since you're both being so vulnerable, what would be the stories that you would put on your name tags right now? Wow. I know. <laughs> you're so good. I'm just putting you right on well, the spot. I'll good. give mine too if so that helps. i <laughs>
2: Yeah. So I actually I just thought about what I had had at that conference, which I again it was about 15 years ago or so, was I have an ugly body. Mm. And that was such a struggle. Hmm. I have um well Holly knows this, but I have an ileostomy. And you would know that just to look at me. Mm-hmm. So I felt like it was very shameful very painful secret.
0: Can you tell everyone listening a little bit more about what that is?
2: Sure, of course. So I have severe Crohn's disease. And, you know, as a part of that, I lost my large intestines and a lot of my small intestine. So now I have a pouch on the outside of my body. And it is really different to have a different looking body. And people go through that where they have maybe lost their breasts due to breast cancer, whatever difference that is. But you're carrying that around and that story is constantly there. And that was so hard for me to be vulnerable in front of all of the hundreds and hundreds of people. And I wore it all day. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that day, I really felt like my relationship with that story had changed, Mm -hmm. that it didn't have to define me. It didn't have to... It didn't have to be true. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. So
0: mine
1: is always—I think this has been always my story in some form or fashion—that um, you know I'm not—I'm not where I want to be. There's this big good enough syndrome, right? I'm not doing this enough or that enough, or I'm not far enough in my career, or I'm not all of that. That's mm-hmm. always part of it. That's part of what sort of follows me around. And um, I work really hard. And sometimes I feel like I'm just chasing the carrot and, you know, not going to get it. And, you know, that that sort of thing. So that that's been something that could either stand in my way, that could move me forward, or that can actually let me rest sometimes. And that's not a fun thing Mm -hmm. to walk around with a lot of the time. You know, so I think in the, in the not enough piece or in the, the piece that when it moves me forward, it's when I'm very deliberately saying, is this what I want my life to be? Is this how I want to define myself as not, have, not ha- as having let that thought of not being enough let me truly not be enough? It's kind of like, yeah, no, I'm going to let that move me forward. I'm going to let that see how functionally that can move me forward. You know,
0: so how do you help that move you forward without it becoming an obsession or unhealthy or that you're acting out of a place of shame?
1: So I, you know, the thing about this work is that I do this work, right? I'm not always successful, but I do the work. So I look at it as a thought that has probably been very adaptive for me in some way, but it is no longer. So do I want to let this thought of not being enough keep me from doing what I want to do in my life, right? It's like that. You know, it's kind of transforming that into something that is going to be workable and something that's effective rather than keeping it as something that's going to hold me back.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a story that I have to grapple with myself. And I think especially as I've decided to quit my job and become a life coach, it's not exactly on a whim. I've been planning this somewhere in the back of my mind for 10 years. But I absolutely – I wake up – I say I wake up every single day. And every day I have a breakdown. And every day I have a breakthrough. And I'm just on this cycle. And I could – I could let that kind of break me down, but it's it's exciting to see the amount of growth that can happen when there's no emotion that you won't feel. And that's a really, really powerful feeling. You can feel rejected or fear and do it anyway.
2: I, I love that, Christina, because I think everybody has an I'm not good enough story. Mm-hmm. We all have our own versions. And it comes from different places, Right, and, and some of it comes back from far. Mine, mine started since before I can remember. Mm-hmm. My brain has been telling me that story, and whether I was, you know, fed by some family members, um, or or that comes from, you know, other places. But I think we all have our own version, so we can decide what will we do with it when it comes, because it will. Mm-hmm. So we it can cer- certainly get us stuck. If we believe that we'll fail or we're not good enough, that avoidance is almost protecting us. Well, if I don't take this opportunity, then I won't fail. Mm -hmm. Because it just won't be worth it. The rejection, the failure won't be worth it. So now my life is smaller and I've just missed an opportunity to have yet another experience. So really looking at it as though, I am acknowledging that I'm having this brain story. It's unhelpful and I'm curious about it. I make some space. Oh, my brain's telling me I'm not good enough story again. Mm -hmm. I made space with the words I just used. So I can choose to fuse with it. I can choose to decide it's fact and let it keep me from being present in my life. Or I can decide it's simply a story And I'm going to move forward because that's my value. One of my values is to serve people in a real and true way. Mm -hmm. And I will not allow that thought or that feeling to get in the way of that value and my action towards that value.
1: And if I can add something, that doesn't mean that that feeling is not going to come. Right. It doesn't mean that that thought is not going to come. We don't get to control whether that comes or not. That comes, right? What we get to do is decide what we're going to do with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's where our work comes in. You know, when Holly said, you know, I'm not going to let that st- That thought stop me, right? So we don't get to choose whether or not we have that thought. That thought's going to come you know, that that can come from anywhere at any time, be triggered by anything, be activated by anything. Our job comes in to recognize that thought, to have a mindful awareness of that thought or that feeling, and then just to decide how we're gonna act. What am I gonna do in that moment? That's where our agency comes in, right? hmm
0: And I love that idea that you've mentioned several times that my life is smaller. When I decide not to follow my values, then my life gets smaller, and so you can make space. So I love that idea. Those I can visualize that making space and the life being small and being able to expand it when you're actually able to get in touch with your values. So I do want to hop back. I do have a few specific questions about values. So I know that's really important, and you guys have touched mm-hmm. a few times on the importance of values in ACT. But my question is, how does somebody go about determining their values if it's not clear to them?
1: Yeah. So, and I'm sort of a values girl. So in lots of situations, I start with that. Mm -hmm. And the question that I will ask them is like, what's important to you? Who's important to you? What matters to you? Like I was telling Holly, um, as I was leaving the house, right. And I do talks and I do trainings and I do therapy and I've done some video stuff. And my family knows this and my daughter knows this. And she's like, oh, that's nice. And when I said to her today, I was going to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. She went, oh my God, really? You're going to do a podcast? Oh my God, that's so cool. So (laughs) clearly that's where her value is, right? (laughs) Like that really matters to her. Like a podcast, all of this, this was really, really important to her. Well, tell me how it went when you got home. I'm really interested in that. So we start by sort of discriminating what matters to you, what's Mm -hmm. important to you. We can start there, right? And people come up with, you know, it's usually family, you know, friends, career, work, um, what else is there, spirituality, exercise, self-care, like a lot, you know, there are are some basic ones, but there's also, you know... For artists, it's creativity for, you know, there's a lot of things. What matters to you? Being in nature matters to you, right? Are you following? Are you engaging in the behaviors that allow you to experience your values? Ultimately, what we're looking at here in ACT is a behavior therapy, right? It's what am I doing that's helping me move in the direction of the things that are important to me.
0: And so what are some of the values that you two have come to on your own about your lives that maybe surprised you?
2: I actually, I have not had any surprises. So that's an interesting question. Um, I do, I am surprised when I had learned about some of these painful stories or these painful thoughts or feelings has so much to do with my own values. So if my my children are hurting or something is happening, of course, it's going to be extremely upsetting to me because... My family is important to me. So the values work a lot that I do personally is, of course, it would be upsetting. Of course, I would be having these feelings. Of course, I'm going to be upset because it is my value. It is going to be painful yes, for so that St- reason.
1: Steve Hayes says, he, I think this is a beautiful um, I don't know, to coin his phrase, it's like in your pain you find your values, and in your values you find your pain. Mm. So if it's not important to you, it probably won't be painful. And if it is important to you, you can bet you it will be painful. Right. So it's being willing to have all of that.
0: That's really beautiful.
1: Cause when I when I identify my value, there's a chance that I may not get it. Or it may not show up the way I want it to show up,
2: right? And I think that's important. I was just thinking when you said that, Holly, that it was such a value where, gosh, I'm being so vulnerable. I love this it. podcast. It's Goodness. Awesome. Um. <laughs> Thank you. Christina, you're getting it all. Um, Good. <laughs> I want it all. Yeah. I thought about family was so important to me. Having children was so important to me and I couldn't have children. Mm-hmm. And it was an unbelievable struggle. And I used to fight that pain. It was so uh, almost debilitating. But really, it makes so much sense Mm -hmm. because that was such a, a huge value for me. My heart was so much into that value. And again, it didn't show up the way I expected it to. We ended up adopting through foster care. But you're right, Holly, because... That is my value. There was great pain mm-hmm. with that value. It didn't come in the way that I, I guess, expected it to, mm-hmm. and but it did. It did come. It did come. just in a different way. And
1: that's where flexibility is so important, right? It's you know, I don't. In the first part of my career, I was an actor, and I didn't work the way I wanted to work. Um, so when I quit. Um, and I decided to go back to graduate school and i and this seemed like the natural path to go. There was a lot of pain involved in that,
0: yeah i really I really appreciate you touching on those times where you have a value and it can't be met at least in the present moment, in the way that you think it you want it to be um and so Holly Holly M thank you so much for sharing. I actually have another podcast episode with my sister and we talk a lot about infertility. And so now she has a daughter, but we talked about that that gap in between when she wanted it and when she actually got it. Um and so I I love that you are willing to share that story and Holly Yates um yeah that idea of it's you have to stay really flexible. And so how do you stay flexible other than cultivating that mindfulness that we've talked about?
1: So I think, you know, it's like identifying the qualities of the things that matter to you, right? So as an actor, it mattered to me to be creative. It mattered to me to touch other people. It mattered to me, you know, when I was actually working that there was some influence that my work had over other people. Right. So I found something that was, had those same qualities was different. It's a really different job. Mm -hmm. Um, but it fulfills those you know those things that are really important to me, to be really honest, to be really present, to be vulnerable, right? All of these things as an actor I bring into my work. So my clients know that I work hard. Mm-hmm. you know I, the the myth the myth is dispelled very early on that I'm perfect and I have everything together, right? Mm-hmm. That's dispelled. In the first two sessions, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, no, I work really hard. I work as hard as you. My life is different and I may not have the same situations that you have. And sometimes people have unbearable situations of which I can't, can't, can't understand fully, but I do know pain and I, and we can connect with each other. You know, we can connect with each other through pain much more easily than we can connect with each other through joy. So if I am willing to hold that space really sacredly, um, then I think that that is also really helpful for clients. It's helpful for audiences. It's helpful, you know, so I took those, those things that I valued as being an actor and found another place to express them.
0: I love that. And I think, Holly, M, um, you did that in some form as well as your value for family and wanting to have biological children. You were able to take a lot of that same value and take it, I assume, to your adopted family. I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong. But um, again, not the same manifestation that you were looking for, but a really beautiful way to still have your values met. Does that feel accurate?
2: It does, and um, and again, I think we all have that story in our future about what we think it's going to be, mm-hmm. and it can be uncomfortable when you know life doesn't look that way. Mm-hmm. And you know, really being able to hold that and be gentle with ourselves, I think, can be a beautiful and healing activity. Absolutely. There's elements of self-compassion in this work, right? Acceptance has
1: a lot to do with that. Acceptance doesn't mean that everything's wrapped up nice and neatly in a bow and that I actually love what's happening. It's sort of giving up the notion that reality is going to be different than it is right now in this moment. I think it's it's about being okay with not feeling okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I call them growing pains. So yeah. for me, the growing pains are that period mm-hmm. in between what you want in life and not having it and making peace with it and making peace with being really uncomfortable. So my example is, for a, for example, the time in between wanting to be in a relationship and actually having a relationship. And you could go out and you could quote unquote solve that problem by finding a random stranger to be in a relationship with, but it's probably not going to be the relationship that you want to be in. And so I've just named that phase of life growing pains and it's really helped me to put a name to it and it helps me just be more at peace because I know that there's nothing I can do and I just have to actively wait and and live my life in the meantime I know that sounds really simplistic but that's helped me a lot to put a name to it
2: I think that's wonderful because you're absolutely right you could try to fill that void and avoid those thoughts and feelings by trying to be in an unhealthy re- relationship I mean, you have that choice, but you can also choose another way and live in line with your values and know that you are worth more than that.
1: Because it also sounds that you have an idea of what you want a relationship to be, right? So it's not just any relationship. Right. But So I guess if you're like, I just want somebody to take up time with, <laughs> right. that that first option, I'll go find somebody to take up time with would work. But it sounds like you want something else like you want I don't want to put words in your mouth but you know something that would be more fulfilling in in your relationship right so not just a relationship
0: right absolutely well and and so one thing one little exercise I've done with myself and this actually ties back to values is I say okay well what am what do I want to accomplish with this relationship right why do I want to be in this relationship and to your point Holly Yates it's I want depth and I want Um, love and I want uh, connection and I want all these different values to be met in a relationship. And so what I've done with myself is I say, okay, well, you don't have that. So how are you going to meet those values in every other way in your life? So I say, if you want love, go Mm -hmm. love people and go be loved by your friends and your family and your niece. (laughs) And if you want connection, Go out there and get connected to people. And I know, again, it sounds really it sounds really easy. And so I just, for anyone listening who is in that period of active waiting or growing pains, whatever you might want to phrase it as, I understand that disconnect between the life that you are wanting and the life that you're living right now, but finding a way to meet your values in the current moment has been really helpful for me. Mm,
1: that's beautiful. That
2: is beautiful. And I love when we're just talking about values is that when you're unsure, I mean, we have decisions we face all the time. Mm-hmm. Some of them seem bigger than others, but a beautiful thing about values is when you are behaving in line with your values, you will experience more peace. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're not going to be as anxious if you behave in ways that are not in line with your values you will definitely experience more anxiety. Mm -hmm. So one thing
0: that I wanted to ask you both is what do you wish people knew about ACT or what do you wish people would ask you about ACT?
1: I wish people knew that their emotions and their thoughts were perfectly human and perfectly okay, Mm. that there's nothing bad about any of those things that we don't have to work so hard to change them, that you don't have to work so hard to not have a negative thought.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What we want to work on is the workability and the effectiveness of those thoughts and feelings. Thank that you. yeah. you're a human being have a, having a human experience, and we all have them.
0: I love that you use the phrase human experience because I always say that my podcast is really just about the human experience. So thank you. Way to bring it full circle.
1: (laughs) What about you, M? What do you
2: think? So I, I think that there's so many beautiful things that I would love people to know. And so I appreciate you doing this podcast because I'm hopeful that people will listen and be very interested in learning more about ACT And not only that, if they're seeking their own therapist, perhaps they would want someone who's trained in ACT Mm -hmm. who can help them using this method. Um, I I think that it's important to know that, like Holly said, there's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) There is, you are beautiful and amazing in so many different ways. And these stories don't have to be so heavy. They don't have to stop you from living your most full life. And they don't have to rob you of being present in, in having joy and being able to have that experience in that moment. Um, I think that sometimes this pain can be so overwhelming that we spend all of our time avoiding it.
1: Trying to get away from Trying
2: it. to get away when it's just not possible. And when we continue to try to do the impossible, that brings really more pain.
1: Mm-hmm. A little like creative hopelessness. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you know the, um, what kinsikori is? Mm-mm. No. It's the Japanese um, art of mending cracked bowls. Oh. Interesting. So we use that as a metaphor. Yeah, I use that as a metaphor with my clients a lot because people will come in and say, I'm broken. Ah. And both Holly and I talk about this. We are People are not broken.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Our clients, ourselves, our friends, our beloveds are not broken. And when we feel cracked... What we're doing here is mending with gold and silver, right, to use that metaphor, and we're more interesting and we're more beautiful and we're more rich and we have more depth as a result of all the cracks that we've experienced in our life.
0: I absolutely love that so much. And I, When people come to me and they ask me about life coaching, a lot of people joke, oh, you can fix me. I'm broken. And I always respond. Well, first of all, you're not broken. And second of all, I am not, there's no fixing to be done. And if there was, I wouldn't be the one who would be able to do it anyway. I'm like, it's really about, it's about you and the process that you need to go through, often with the assistance of somebody else and the guidance of somebody else. Um, But I think, I believe that everyone has the the answers within them. Would you guys agree with that statement?
2: Well, it depends a little bit on... I guess, the difference between coaching and a mental health treatment. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, so I think it really depends because I, I actually do coaching and mental health treatment and they're quite different. Yes. Um, so I think a lot of people who are, kind. I think it depends on the service that well, you're needing at that time. And
1: I also think we want to teach people how to listen to that voice inside of them. Mm-hmm right? That wisdom inside of them. It's different with kids, I think, in a way, right? But to to listen to that place, to be able to shape that more effectively, that that wise, intuitive place inside of them that sort of may know where they want to go and we'll want to help them listen to it and follow that, right? And that's that's coaching. That's a lot of coaching. And yes. that can sometimes be really therapeutic. You know, a lot of our clients aren't told that they're worthy, or that they're valuable, or that they matter. And things have been so beaten out of them, and I don't mean necessarily physically, that our job is to help them discover that, right? To help them discover that piece of themselves that's valuable and worthy. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and Holly M., I'm really glad you brought up the distinction between therapy and coaching, because obviously I don't want there to be confusion that they are the same thing. They're not. How would you define the difference since you are familiar with both and practice both?
2: My understanding, and of course you'll hear different different things from different people, but in my experience, coaching, which can be unbelievably helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I love that service. Um, it's for people who aren't necessarily struggling, struggling deeply. Yes. I, I, I don't mean that as then, you know, I mean that they are essentially guiding. The coach isn't really guiding. The person is guiding. The client is guiding. Mm-hmm. Um, so coaching is a lot of question asking a lot of, um, not advice giving necessarily, but being able to be that base, being able to, to be able to turn that around and say, how is that working? What do you want? What are those goals and how do we take steps to get there? And
1: I think a a big distinction is I think coaching, because I do some coaching as well, is very goal oriented. Mm -hmm. People come because they want to get something and they don't quite know how to get there. And therapy is much more sort of intrapersonal, like what do I need to do in order to help myself heal some wounds that are that are. That are in there. And it's not necessarily goal oriented. Again, it's values and acceptance oriented. Mm -hmm. It's how can I live a full life? It's not necessarily what do I need to get? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there are job coaches. So somebody wants a job. There are relationship coaches. Somebody wants a relationship. All of those are really, really valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, But therapy is about kind of really navigating those incredibly wounded parts of ourselves that can help us move through our lives in a very um, value driven way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to hold you both too long, but I do want to ask about book recommendations. So I've already mentioned that I am reading power of now, which is one of about 10 books that I'm reading currently, but I wanted to ask as act therapists, but also just as human beings, what is one book that you might recommend to listeners? And it can be completely personal, completely professional or a combination.
2: Um, one of my favorites, and I know Holly's what as well, is called Learning Act, mm-hmm. and it's an acceptance and commitment therapy skills training manual for therapists. And it's just when I'm when I'm buying books, it's usually towards therapists and yeah. how can I serve my patients even in a more effective way.
1: I think for therapists, um, Kelly Wilson has a beautiful book called Mindfulness for Two and it's about it's not it sounds like it's a couples therapy book, but it's yes. not. <laughs> it's about, you know, a therapist and the client sitting in the room and how we become really present mm. in that space. It's a really lovely book. And in terms of a personal book, I think for someone, because a lot of us are struggling with the suffering piece, right? And there's a book Called Man's Search for Meaning, that Viktor Frankl wrote many years ago. And that is about making meaning out of the suffering that we've experienced. And I think that's a really, just a really beautiful book.
0: I appreciate you recommending that one because I've been trying to convince my book club to read it for months and months. So now I'm going to send them this episode. Mm. (laughs) They always ask me to describe the book. I've never actually read it, but I always, my description is always, well, um, it's about a man. And uh, he's searching, you know, for meaning. And somehow that's not very convincing to them. So (laughs) So maybe you've convinced them. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're so welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for joining today. Thanks, Christina. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.